The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, which is the fourth sermon in our series on the book of Haggai, we begin to see what happens when those who have been complacent in the service of the kingdom of God recommit to the service of the Lord. In that day, the work involved rebuilding the temple. Today, the work may involve rebuilding your own spiritual house, that temple of God which is your body. It may involve recommitting to the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. It may involve just recommitting yourself to deeper devotion to the God who loved you before the foundation of the world and saved you through the death of his son on the cross. My friends, when we find ourselves growing complacent in our service to the Lord, we should heed the word of God and recommit ourselves to the work of God like these Israelites did in Haggai's day. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of holy lean on Jesus' name.
Tonight, I want to go back to the book of Haggai. Just by way of very quick review, you understand that we're, we're at a time in the history of the nation of Israel when they have returned from Babylon. They were carried captive for 70 years into Babylon because of the unfaithfulness of their leaders and of the people. Josiah was the last good king of Judah. But here we find the prophet Haggai has been sent to the people of God who went back home from the Babylonian captivity. And we, we, we mentioned this before, and I want to mention it again. These were, these were faithful children of God. They didn't have to go. Some stayed in Babylon in ease. They liked the ease of Babylon more than the work that would have to be done back home in the kingdom of God. But they were sent back specifically to rebuild the temple, and they started, and they had opposition, and then they quit. <laughs> legitimately at first I, I understand why they they stopped because the king said stop they were slandered against they were they were uh, opposed and the king stopped it wasn't the king that sent them back it was a new king he had stopped the work the problem is they didn't try to restart it for 15 years and they grew complacent and you know that's a dangerous place for a child of God to get and it's one of the easiest places for a child of God to go I don't have a real problem with actively going out and publicly sinning. Now, I'm not saying I don't sin publicly. I do. And you do, too. We all do that. We have habitual sins that afflict us. But I don't really have a problem getting on the evening news every day because I've robbed a bank or because I've, you know, shot and killed somebody or I've done something else. It's just a horrible public offense, you know. My, my problems are not so much going out into the world and causing a ruckus. My problem is getting complacent and preferring to sit down in my recliner rather than getting up and doing the work that God has for us to do. Now, when I say the work that God has for us to do, we dealt with that last time. We're not talking about the work of redemption. Praise God, the work of redemption has been finished. When Jesus said on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. Brother Neil Honey preached to us Sunday night about that. God finishes what he starts. And he didn't leave anything for us to do in the, in the realm of eternity. Praise God. He, he knew we couldn't do it. And so he did it himself. Over in Isaiah, there's a place where he said, I looked around to see if there was a redeemer and I marveled that there wasn't one. So guess what? He said, mine own arm brought salvation. Praise God, he did that. But there is work to do in the kingdom of God nonetheless. It's not getting people to heaven, but it's getting those who are going to heaven to understand how they're going and to understand that they need those others of God's children. They need to be together with them. You know, Jesus, Jesus founded the church for a reason. That's enough that he said... We ought to be in the church. It's enough that he said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's enough that he said we ought to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If there's no other reason, if you don't have any other desire other than just to please God, come to church. <laughs> don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Be together. And praise God, we, we get to experience that two or three times a week. But there's reasons the Lord did this. There's reason the Lord, he knew that we couldn't make it on our own. 
He knew we needed a place of public worship. Can you worship God at the football game? Sure, you can. But the problem is, how easy is it to worship God? Now, let me ask you this. <laughs> you know, I like to, I'm hopefully going to get to go to the football game Saturday. I'm looking forward to being with some friends and going there. But I, I got a strong suspicion that when, when the quarterback's throwing the ball down the field and the receiver catches it and he's running towards the end zone, I'm not going to be jumping up and down saying, go God, go God, praise God. I'm going to be saying, run the ball. You know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be praising the, the ones that are out there doing all this uh, activity. You know, my mind's not going to be focused where it ought to be. And, and, and look, you can worship him wherever you are. You ought to worship him wherever you are. You ought to be an ambassador for the kingdom. But the way God wants us to be recharged is to come here and be together. To be together. You know, the church is supposed to be a place of rest. Now, he says we're to labor to enter that rest. That means, what, what labor is he talking about? You got to do something to get saved? No. <laughs> you got to do something because you've been saved. It would have been a lot easier to stay home tonight, wouldn't it? it it'd be a lot easier. You know, Sunday morning, it's not easy on Sunday mornings to get up and come to church. It's a decision you have to make. And, and I'm telling you, I could stay in the bed Sunday morning and, and rest, but I, I have to labor to enter into this, the rest that God has for me. I need to be recharged like a battery. I need to have the fire rekindled in my soul, and that's why he gave us this. See, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he sent these Jews back and said, build my temple. And when they didn't do it, 15 years passed. A whole generation grew up. And as Haggai says, they were having problems. You know, instead of the holy temple, they had the holy bag that they were carrying their money around in. <laughs> I've had one of those before. Uh, instead, of, instead of focusing on the holy things, I had a holy bag, a bag with holes in it where, my, where I'd put my money in there and I'd say, oh, I've got plenty. Re eat, drink, and be merry. And it looks like it's just all just pouring out. Everything they did turn to discord and dishonor because the Lord was chastening them. The Lord was suffering them to go through this. But Haggai and Zechariah come upon the scene and they preach this message. They say, consider your ways. Is it time for you to live in your nice houses and leave in the house of the Lord lying waste? They preached a pretty powerful message, a pretty pointed message, okay? As a preacher, I've preached those kinds of messages before. I've preached those kinds of messages in uh, other churches. I've preached them here. I've preached them in different places. And I'm going to tell you something. If I preach a message of, of admonition to repentance to a congregation, and just one or two take it and apply it to their hearts and their lives, I'll feel like I'm pretty successful as a preacher. That message, you know, through the Spirit of God was successful. Well, I want to tell you what happened here. Haggai and Zechariah preached this message to the leadership and to all the children of Israel. And guess what? In three weeks, they all obeyed. They turned their lives around. They quit being complacent. 
They were convicted and they got to work. The people obeyed. That's a pretty amazing thing. Like I said, I'm satisfied if one or two people listened to my message. If I were to stand up in the halls of Congress and preach this message to them that you need to get back to the things of God and in three, it would be the equivalent of that, that in three weeks they did that. They repented and undid a lot of laws that are against the Lord and turned around. See, that's what happened here. Haggai preached and the people obeyed. Notice their leaders were persuaded. The first verse here of Haggai chapter 1, you'll see that, that this message, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who was the governor, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, who was the high priest. Uh, you see, the, the message originally was to the leaders. Now, you, you look back over in, in Ezra, the first chapter, it was the leaders that were sent back charged with the duty of, of building the temple. But notice that when they got complacent and this time passed and God sent them a prophet, notice in verse 12 what happened. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. They got to work. Look at verse uh, uh, four, well, verse 13, Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord their God. <laughs> Praise God. They got to work. They listened to the message. And the leaders here heeded the word, but also the people were persuaded. The people were, were uh, they did fear before the Lord. You know, I read about in Acts chapter 2, a similar situation. On the day of Pentecost, Peter and all the apostles began to preach, and maybe some more were preaching besides the apostles, but they began to preach in a strange new way. Tongues as of fire came down. That, that was the Holy Spirit coming down. You know, the church of the living God was like a ship sitting in the harbor up to that point. Jesus had, had founded the church while he was here. But then before he went back to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and also in the last chapter of Luke, he said, you tarry here until you receive power from on high. In other words, you wait. You're not ready yet. The ship is all, um, the, the, the church is all ready. It's all prepared like a ship that is, that is packed and, and, and built up and ready to go. The tackling is in place. The sails are in place, but it's just sitting in the harbor. But on the day of Pentecost, the wind was put to the sails of the old ship of Zion, and she began to sail under the power and the authority and the, and the, uh, the impetus of the Holy Spirit. And she began to sail, and she still sails to this day. Did you know we need the Spirit of God? The church isn't just some other organization. When we decided to build this building, if you were in a corporation, you would sit down and you would tally up what you had, and you tally up what you needed, and you'd wait till a certain point till you knew that you had what it would take to build this building. Do you know we didn't know for sure when we started this building if we'd ever have enough money 
to pay it off. Now, we didn't, we didn't go into it blindly. We, we could see, you know, we, we started thinking about it a long time before the Lord started blessing us. But when the Lord started blessing us with this donation and that donation from outside the church, Brother Mackey and we, Brother Glenn, we know it's just places we had no idea, no expectation they would come from. And suddenly the Lord has blessed us with, with, a, with a, a nest egg, so to speak. And, and we knew, we realized then that there was more to this than just tallying up the numbers. You certainly have to count the cost. We don't do things foolishly. <clears throat> but when the Lord begins to bless, you better follow his leading. And praise God, we know that this building, you know, we borrowed, what, $10,000 and never spent it. <laughs> we paid it back and it's paid off all through the power of God, all through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit leads us as a, as a church. You know, a lot of people go out and try to start organizations that they call churches, but only the real true church is blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? There were some people in that congregation, apparently, that were there when Jesus was crucified. In fact, he told them, Peter told them, ye by wicked hands have slain the Lord of glory. You know what happened to those people? It wasn't Peter's amazing preaching, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you, know, I, you know I make my living talking. <laughs> Let's just face it, I make my living talking and arguing and, you know, I can talk. I can, I can make a speech. You know, I've made many in my life. But if all I ever do is get up here and make a speech, there's not much that's going to benefit you. You see, I hope and I pray and I felt it before that the Holy Spirit will come down. Any time we preach is a miracle. It's a miracle that the Holy Spirit will come down and infuse me or infuse whatever man is standing here with the Holy Spirit power and they will preach in power and demonstration of the Spirit. And, and I listen, listen, praise God, it's not my eloquence that causes one to be born again. It's not my words that cause one to be born again. It's the Holy Spirit that causes one to be born again. And I don't know if those men there were already born again, many of them, but I'm sure some of them had not been, but we're told they were pricked in their heart. <laughs> Now, let me tell you, I can, I can say things tonight that will cut you to the heart. We read about that over in the Acts, the seventh chapter. In the seventh chapter of Acts, there, are, there were uh, uh, Stephen, the, the deacon there, <laughs> who became an evangelist as, as the, the only message we ever hear that he preached. We're told that he preached a message to them, and guess what? It cut them to the heart. And you know what they did? They gnashed on him with their teeth, and they stoned him to death. Oh, but when the Holy Spirit pricks one in the heart, there's some changes to be made. And there in the second chapter of Acts, the people were pricked in the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a common refrain for anyone who's been born of the Spirit who's been pricked in the heart, isn't it? Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul, Saul of Tarsus still. That was his name still at that time. He wasn't going up there looking for Jesus. People tell you to seek the Lord. People tell you to, uh, to, to, that they found Jesus. Listen, Jesus found them. <laughs> Jesus found Saul on the road to Damascus because he wasn't seeking Jesus. He was going up there breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the kingdom of God. He was getting ready to throw in jail any Christian he could find. But the Lord stopped him on the road to Damascus. He, he, he brought him to his knees. He blinded him with his power. And Paul said, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? 
And I'm going to tell you, that's the proper response from any child of God that's been born again. And that's the response in their heart that they really and truly want. They may be misled by some preaching. They may be misled by some teaching that they've heard. But I'll tell you what they really want. What you really want in your heart of hearts as a child of God is to do what he would have you to do. They said, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. (laughs) Which tells me that repentance and baptism comes after the new birth. Because they'd already been pricked in the heart. That's what happened here. Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people were pricked in the heart and did fear before the Lord and were provoked into a spirit of obedience. They came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts. And notice, no more excuses. But, but, but Zerubbabel, they, they stopped us before, no more excuses. You don't see that, do you? But, but it's, it's been too long, but I, we don't know what, you know, no excuses. But hey, let's appoint a committee to study it. No, let's plan to work. No, they got to work. You don't need a committee to try to figure. You know, it's pretty simple what the Lord wanted them to do. He said to them back in verse 8, go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the house. Pretty simple. You know, really, the work we have to do in the kingdom of God is pretty simple. Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul, what if, what if, what if they won't listen to me? What, what, what do I do? You preach anyway. Isaiah, in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, you know, he, he cried out that great cry of humility and that cry that we all ought to recognize when we see the Lord high and lifted. You know, that's always without exception. When you see the Lord high and lifted up, the response is you hit the floor. He fell on his knees. There's nobody yet I've read about in the Word of God who truly got a vision of the glory of God that, walks, that waltzed up to the Jesus and said, Hey, buddy, old pal, it's good to see you. <laughs> You remember John the Revelator over in the book of Revelations when he heard a voice as a, uh, of many waters behind him and he turned around and he fell at his feet as, he, as if he were dead because he saw the glory of God. And that's what Isaiah said. He said, Woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips for I have seen the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And then after they touched his lips with that coal of fire and they, uh, they encouraged him and lifted him up from the dirt, uh, they said, who will I send? Who will go for us? And I can just see Isaiah waving his hand. Here am I. Send me. Not in order to get saved, but because I've been saved. Not in order to save a bunch of people for heaven, but because I know what's been done for them and I want to deliver them. And then it's like he almost stopped and said, now, um, how long? <laughs> How long have I got to do this? <laughs> and you know what the answer was? I said, there's nobody left to hear. <laughs> there's nothing but rocks and trees and nobody left to hear. In fact, he told them in Jeremiah in one place, they're not going to hear you. You see, the work's simple. The work is real simple. Paul said one place, God, the Lord sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You know, some preachers get that mixed up. They think that the purpose of their ministry is to get as many people to, to get baptized, to get into the church as possible. Listen, I hope and pray 
I, I would love to see a revival in this, in this county, in this community, in this area. I'd love to see a hundred people come in. I'd love to baptize people until I couldn't baptize anymore. What a workout that would be. I've been trying to work out lately. That's the workout I want to work out with. But that's not my, you know, if, if you think your purpose is to, is to baptize as many people as you can, you're going to be tempted to compromise on the, on the word you're preaching. You're going to be tempted to compromise on the gospel. Because there's a lot of messages that will be more palatable to the natural ear out there. And we see a lot of churches growing in great leaps and bounds with numbers, but not growing in grace and knowledge of the truth. Here, the work is simple. Preach the word, stay true to the gospel, and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let him do his work. Though I promise you the Lord will do what he said he'll do. We need to do our part, which is not to save people eternally, but hey, it is to save people from this crooked generation. That is what the church does. Did you know that? That's a timely deliverance. That's not eternal. That's a timely thing where we can be saved from those problems of the world, from the false doctrines of the world, from the, from the, uh, the, the devilish philosophies of the world. We can teach our children not to be overcome and overpowered by the philosophies of men that have permeated our, our institutions of higher learning. I was talking with a man today who was bemoaning the fact that his alma maters, he had been to Oxford University and gotten a PhD from Oxford University over in England. And he had gotten a Harvard degree uh, before that. And he was bemoaning the fact, he said, I have this I have this antipathy towards my alma maters because they have sown so much evil and wickedness over the past few decades instead of sticking to the truth. You see, we can teach our children, we can save our children from that. We can save one another. We can't save each other for heaven. God had to do that. But because we have been saved, the church is here as a place of rest and salvation. Over in the 48th Psalm, I believe it is, we're told in verse 12, well, we're told in verse 2, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Now, I know this is a literal reference to Jerusalem, but it's a figurative type and shadow of the church that is to come. You see, the church ought to be, when we think about the church, we ought to think about the beauty of the church. It's beautiful for situation. It's just, it's in just the right place and it's set up in just the right way. And God should be known within the church as a refuge. Look down at verse 12 for lack of time. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Notice what it says here about Zion. Again, this is literally talking about Jerusalem, but it's figuratively giving us a preview of what the church is going to be like. The church is a spiritual place. The church is a spiritual kingdom. And in, in the church, in the spiritual Israel, in spiritual Zion, there are towers. Why do you have towers in a palace, in a castle? The towers are there to elevate your vision, to where that you can see the enemy coming from farther off. 
The men, the, the watchmen who man the towers are supposed to cry out a warning when, when the enemy's coming. In Zion, the city of God, in Zion, the spiritual place, the church, the men, who are, the men of God who lead you, the men of God who preach to you are supposed to be able to elevate your vision to the point where you can see out there. And it's not just the men that preach you that, to you that have that responsibility. It's everyone in the congregation. We ought to be growing. We ought to be learning about the things to watch out for. And also notice it says, Mark ye well her bulwarks. Bulwarks are, are, are like walls and, and, and massive uh, defensive uh, structures that, that are supposed to keep the enemy out. You know, I've told you all this so many times. You're probably tired of hearing it, but Daniel Boone was one of my favorite shows growing up. And, and all, it was at least once a week, the theme of the episode was the Indians had arisen in war and the, the word would go out into the community there the, that the Indians are on the war path, you better come into the fort. And without fail, there was always some obstinate farmer that was out there saying, I've got to get my crops in. I'll be all right with the Indians. I can take care of myself. And sure enough, he got in trouble and old Daniel Boone had to leave the fort and go crawling around in the woods and finally rescue them and bring them back into the fort. You know, they'd have been better off to come into the fort to start with. Child of God, come into the fort. Stay in the fort. Now, I'm not just talking about joining the church. I'm talking about dwelling in the church. I'm talking about staying focused upon the church. Don't let the world distract you. Don't let the world take you away because I got news for you. Daniel Boone can go out into the woods and come back when the Indians are rising, but you're no Daniel Boone. <laughs> and I'm not either. You see, we need to be in the fort. Our, our enemy is much worse than the Indians, the, the Indians that would arise in those episodes. He's a roaring lion. Think about this. What if, what if, I think about our brethren and sisters in Africa. First Primitive Baptist Church of Tanzania. The Primitive Baptist Church in Kenya where Elder Martin Onyani pastors. You know, there's places over there where there really are lions. But what if we really had lions out there? Wouldn't we be foolish to have an outside service tonight if the lions were on the prowl? You need to be inside the fort. And notice the last thing here, it says, consider her palaces, her palaces. What, what are palaces? Palaces are the place where the king and his family would dine, would, would, would play, would rest in comfort. Child of God, do you realize you're a child of the king? The church is the place where the children of the king should be dining and growing and playing. You know, we're going to have this fish fry coming up. I love to eat fish. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I'll probably eat too much that night. But the purpose of having the fish fry and the purpose of having our first and third Sunday lunches and the purpose of having our fifth Sunday night fellowship, it's not to eat and get fat. <laughs> I know we're all gluttons at times, especially me, but I'll tell you, the purpose is to be able to play with one another, to be able to be around one another and to fellowship with one another. We didn't start this building project because we just wanted to find a new building. We wanted a fellowship hall. And oh, praise God, it has turned into the greatest thing. It's been so wonderful to have that place there and to be with you more often, to be together more often. We all, I wish we could do it every Sunday. I wish we could do it every day of the week. <laughs> but I'll tell you, beloved, the palaces of Zion are the most glorious palaces there are. 
It's the place where the king and his family can be together. That's what we have here, I trust. Yeah, we mess it up, I know. We get all distracted and stressed out. These people here understood, finally. Things hadn't been working out too good for them. We've been having problems with our work, with our families, with everything going wrong. Now, we're going to see as we continue this study that everything wasn't roses from this point on. It wasn't just smooth sailing. Anytime the kingdom of God begins to prosper, the devil is not happy. And he will bring up opposition. We've experienced that here. The ten, last 10 years, off and on, we've had problems. We've had issues within the church. We've had issues outside the church. And there are going to be problems. Don't, don't come join Zion Primitive Baptist Church thinking, oh, it's a perfect church. We got it. You know. In fact, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there's going to be problems, but there's no place better for a child of God to be than in his home away from home. Isn't that the desire of our hearts is to go home? Well, I'm homesick for a place I've never been. I'm ready. I'm not, you know, if the Lord will leave me here and allow me to be of some help to my family, to my church, to my community, then, then, then I'm willing to stay. I want to stay as long as I can do that. But, but when the day comes for me to lay down my armor, when the day comes for me to, 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 to leave this battle that is life, praise God, I'll be going home to be with him. I'll be going home to rest forever. But in the meantime, he's given us a little taste of home right here, right here. Now, now I hope in your families you have sweet rest and sweet fellowship. And we should. You know, the family, if done right, should be an extension of the kingdom of God. But, but oh, the, the city of God, Zion. You know, it, it's, not a, it's not a far leap for us here, is it, to, to apply these things to church? Because we are Zion Primitive Baptist Church. But, but Zion, as a reference to the spiritual kingdom of God that is here and now, that is manifest in the church. Oh, praise the Lord. It's a home away from home. I'm so thankful for that. And here these people obeyed. They began to get back to work and to focus upon the kingdom like they ought to. We're going to see next time the opposition begins to arise. And it comes from outside, but it also comes from inside. And that's the way it works. Some of the worst problems that, that the church of God ever has are self-inflicted wounds. Problems from within. We're going to see that they had some of those, but... They also had some encouragement. And I'll let you in on a little secret. God encouraged them by telling them, hey, I am with you. And by the way, something even greater is coming. One day, my son will be coming here in this very temple. Praise God for the encouragement we have in the Word of God. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.